Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and we are um, going verse by verse through passages of Scripture as we do every Sunday. We've been going through Ecclesiastes, if you've been listening for a while. But this Sunday, we're actually going to be taking a pause from Ecclesiastes. And this is something that we do from time to time to take a break from the series we're doing and focus on a particular prayer of Scripture and work through that. And... Just remember what God has done. I talk about the personal work of Christ. And so this Sunday, we'll be in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah is arguably one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. I have profited greatly from studying the book of Jonah over the years. But Jonah is a book of the Bible that often we're either dismissive of or miss the big picture therein. That we often are tempted to overlook the seemingly unrealistic um, elements. Or we zero in on one point of the story and we take it out of context. But some of the most beautiful points that God makes are in small books. I think Jonah is one of those great texts of scripture. There is so much gospel truth packed into these very few chapters. And I think it starts off with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Notice this phrase, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So, right off the bat, we have a prophet gone rogue. We have a prophet who has become the rebel of the story, which seems pitifully ironic, but this is how this played out. God's word is true. And what God says in his word is that we have a prophet gone rogue. And so he has, which seems completely and utterly foolish, he has tried to depart from the presence of the Lord. A prophet has tried to escape God. And Jonah chapter 2 sits right in the middle of this book and shows a massive change of heart in this prophet gone rogue. John, Jonah one seventeen says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now we have the setting of this passage we're going to dig into. And some scholars have 
debated whether it was a fish or a whale. The Hebrew manuscripts in our possession and copies of the Greek Septuagint in our possession seem to agree that the word ketos does not necessarily mean whale, but a great sea monster. And we can um, move it this way or that. I've heard one guy say it's probably a shark. But the reality is I think we're talking about something monstrous, something that has consumed Jonah in his sin. And we may not be speaking in terms of biological categories as much as a nature of what has enveloped him. It may have been a creature that we have not seen since. This could be um, some manifestation of God's wrath that doesn't fit in our understanding of the animal kingdom. Or it may well have been a massive whale like Moby Dick. But the specifics, I think, to some extent, take away from the picture that God is painting by this account as a whole. This account of Jonah is more concerned with what happened than how it happened. The beast gets a passing mention, but an entire chapter is dedicated to Jonah's prayer within that beast. And without further ado, let us read this prayer. Be um, because of getting out of rudiments, getting out of routine a little bit, I will be reading this out of the English Standard Version. I'll be reading this in the complete Jewish Bible because of the way it captures the Jewish nature of what Jonah is saying. And it reads, Out of my distress I called to Adonai, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol I cried, <clears throat> and you heard my voice. For you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood enveloped me. All your surging waves passed over me. I thought I have been banished from your sight. But I will look again at your holy temple. The, the water surrounded me, threatened my life. The deep closed over me, and seaweed twined around my head. I was going down to the bottom of the mountains, to a land whose bars would close me in forever. But you brought me up alive from the pit. Adonai, my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered Adonai, and my prayer came into you, into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols give up their source of mercy, but I, speaking my things out loud, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, for salvation comes from Adonai. And so he starts off in the belly of this beast. The belly was considered, in Hebrew culture, as we've talked about a little bit in Ecclesiastes, was considered in Hebrew culture to be the center of something ontologically. And what does Jonah pray in the heart of this beast? He prays the Psalms. This prayer is crafted from several Davidic Psalms. So he is praying the Psalms of David likely from memory. He didn't have a Jewish library with him in this this deep, dark place. So he's going off memory. In my distress, says Psalm 18.6, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. 
He cries to God out of his distress in the deep dark pit, in the belly of Sheol, he says. And that word cry, that's a very intense word in Hebrew. That is, that's not a, a stifled scream. That is very emotive. That's emotionally, that's a very intense word. That is, he, he cried out loud. It was an uproar. This is a blood-curdling scream of all of the, of all of his distress, of all of his fallibility, for all of his wretchedness, for all of his infallibility, for his, for all his fallibility, excuse me. He lays it all before God. In the pit of my utmost distress, because all that I am brings me here. Matthew Henry sums it up in this way. Observe when Jonah prayed, when he was in trouble, under the tokens of God's displeasure against him for sin. When we are in affliction, we must pray. Being kept alive by miracle, he prayed. A sense of God's goodwill to us, notwithstanding our offenses, opens the lips in prayer, which were closed with the dread of wrath. Also, where he prayed, in the belly of the fish. No place is amiss for prayer. Many times our own rebellion leads us to similar depths. We may not experience being inside a monstrous animal, as Jonah did, but our sin can consume us in a similar fashion. One local preacher puts it this way, sin is like a serpent. Try to live with it and it will either suffocate all spiritual life like a constrictor or bite to inject its deadly venom. Either way, you die. Dear God, give us grace to kill sin daily. And so God calls, and so Jonah calls to God in his self-inflicted distress. What glorious truths are contained in that fact that Jonah called to God from the midst of the mess that he put himself in. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood enveloped me. All your surging waves passed over me. You cast me into the deep. Jonah is essentially going, holy mackerel, God cast me here because of my sin. This, the gravity is hitting Jonah. Of the fact that he has defied the everlasting, holy, almighty God. Deuteronomy 30 says, See now, I have given before you today life and death, good and evil. If you listen to the commands of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his ordinances and his judgments, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you, and all the land to which you are entering there to take possession of it. And if your heart turns away, and you do not listen, and in wandering you worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall certainly be destroyed, and you shall be not long lived on the land into which you are crossing over Jordan to take possession of. I called a witness against you today, both heaven and earth. I have given life and death. 
before you, the blessing and the curse. You should choose life in order that you may live and your descendants, to love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice and to be close to him. For this is life for you and the length of your days. For you to dwell in the land that the Lord swore, swore to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give to them. Now, there is a hermeneutical difference that we have to recognize here in audience. There is a difference in audience and presentation that we have to keep in mind. That we will not be hindered from crossing Jordan if we disobey. We're, we're not Israel. But the contrast between obedience and sin as likened to life and death is still applicable. We will not choose death and find life. Romans tells us that the wages of sin, that which we earn from sin, our, our payment for sin is death. That is what we earn is death. And Jonah is cognizant of that, as evidenced by the phrase, you cast me. But notice how he continues. Yet I shall look at your holy temple. Isaiah 25 says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. And thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. The reality is that God remains faithful when we do not. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. For he forgives all your sins. And he, he heals all thine infirmities. He redeems your life from the grave. And crowns you with mercy and loving kindness. He satisfies you with good things. And your youth is renewed like that of the eagles. Jonah likewise draws to mind the fact that God has not given up on him. Even when Jonah gave up on God. God's faithfulness is not bound to ours. And one beautiful way to explain this is in the example of Abraham. We talk a lot sometimes about the covenants. And I'm going to sound very Presbyterian for a moment here about the covenants. But Genesis 15 says that um, explains God making his covenant with Abraham in this way. So picking up verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
So typically in these dates, when you entered into an agreement with another person, both parties would walk between the entrails of the two animals, and they would meet in the middle. And you would think that this is how God would enter into this covenant with Abraham, that he would meet him in the middle. But watch what happens. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Then the sun had gone down, and it was dark. And behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these, these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so, Abram fell asleep. And God walked all the way through the entrails. He didn't meet Abram in the middle. He did all the work. And likewise, this is the same, the same substantially, this is the same covenant we are a part of in Christ. A covenant where God has done all the work. We do not contribute to this process. We do not contribute to anything that would motivate God to be faithful to us. God is faithful because he is faithful. Not because of anything we bring to the table. So back to Jonah. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the Lord, whose bars closed down upon me forever. And you brought me up from the pit. O oh Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. He remembered the Lord only when his own providence failed him, when the reality of his own fallibility was ever before him. Jonah remembered the Lord when he could do nothing else. May this be a warning to us all. Nahum chapter 1 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, and Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. And this is the same God to whom Jonah cries out. This is the God to whom we all cry out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of a horrible pit, and out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon the rock, and established my goings. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed down in Sheol, you are there. 
Where can I find solace from a God who is everywhere? Where can I escape him? Where can I go where he is unable to go? Where can I go to where I am beyond his reach? The answer is you can't. Because he made the cosmos. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But yet it's everything. The hands that put the, the planets in motion in perfect orbit cannot be escaped or avoided. And yet when God, and yet when we cry out, God hears us. When we don't know what to say, God hears us just the same. Romans 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let us cry out to God, knowing that the sheer, knowing the sheer gravitas of our sinfulness, and apply to God, who is the remedy for sin, even if that is with groanings too deep for words. Jonah continues this prayer by stating the alternative. Those who worship vain idols give up their source of mercy. But I, speaking my thanks out loud, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, for salvation comes from the Lord. The, this, there's a mirror effect here between, like Deuteronomy, with the way of life and the way of death. Those who worship vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, says another translation. One, Psalm 115 gives us some clarity here. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name, unto thy name we give glory. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in heaven, and he and whatever he wills to do, he does. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of, humans, of human hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, they cannot feel. Neither speak they from their throat. They that make them are like them. And so is everyone that trusts in them. Jeremiah 17 says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, who maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath, like the shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. But here's the alternative. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, 
and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, that is, shall not be bothered when the heat comes, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And again, we see that the weight of what we just saw described in Deuteronomy 30, of being set before us the way of life and the way of death. And the only way to life is where God is. John 17, the prayer of Christ in the garden. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The Catechism in the English, in the, the Book of Common Prayer, asks the question, what is the Christian hope? And the answer that it provides is, the Christian hope is to live with confidence in newness and fullness of life, and to await the coming of Christ in glory, and the completion of God's purpose for the world. The truth of the Gospel is this, that God plunged himself down into the depths satisfying the justice that should have been imposed on us, making peace with the Father through the Son, laying down an earthly life for the sheep that went astray, in order that what was required of God's law should be, would be fulfilled in us through the giving of a new nature. Romans 1 characterizes our condition in this way, the condition of which puts Jonah in the fish, and puts us enveloped in our sin. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Among other things, the natural man is in such a state of spiritual disarray that he cannot say, Thank you. The sinful man is not grateful to its creator. We as God's ransomed people are capable of something else. We can express our gratitude to God for delivering us from ourselves. So when Jonah says those who worship vain idols give up their source of mercy, it's because they're looking to the wrong thing for deliverance. They're looking for to stone and wood and clay for what is given to us by a living God. We are servants of the living God. And his righteousness that he bestows upon us is a living righteousness. He is living and active. Jonah goes on to say, But I, speaking my thanks aloud with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. For salvation comes from the Lord. He will give thanks. In the belly of the fish, he will give thanks. Psalm 100 says, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Literally, his hesed forever. His mercy forever. Verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hands of the enemy, and gathered them, out of the lands, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. Psalm 107. Psalm 100 
reads, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Lamentations 3. says, This I recall to mind, and therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's has said of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will trust in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him and to the soul that seeketh him. And now we come to the end of Jonah's prayer, the grand conclusion of what God is trying to show us through this prayer. This last line, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord, says other translations. The Hebrew word for salvation here is Yeshua. The Greek Septuagint renders it as soterios, which is where we get the word soteriology, the study of salvation. But salvation is of the Lord, and Yeshua is of the Lord. And that's, that's important, because I have in my hands a Jewish Bible that has a lot of the Hebrew names for things, even in the New Testament. And what is the Hebrew equivalent of the name Jesus, it is Yeshua. Matthew chapter 1 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with, with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and called his name Jesus, which is Greek. But the Hebrew equivalent of that, G of that Greek word is Yeshua, that the angel effectively instructed them to name their child Salvation. Salvation belongs to God, or more accurately, Salvation is God. Salvation has a name. Ephesians chapter 1 reads it in this way, Praise be Adonai, Father of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who in the Messiah has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. In the Messiah, he chose us in love before the creation of the universe to be holy 
and without defect in his presence. He determined in advance that through Yeshua the Messiah we would be his sons, in keeping with his pleasure and purpose, so that we would bring him praise, commensurate with the glory of the grace he gave us through the Beloved One. In union with him, through the shedding of his blood, we are set free. Our sins are forgiven. This accords with the wealth of his grace he has lavished on us. In all his wisdom and insight, he has made known to us his secret plan, which by his own will he designed beforehand in connection with the Messiah, and will put into effect when the time is ripe. His plan to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. The hope of our redemption has a name. In Greek, it is Jesus. In Hebrew, it is Yeshua. In English, we call him Lord. Acts 2.21 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I say to you this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, be reconciled to God. For salvation is in his hands. It is who he is. That, that sin that so envelops us, that puts us in despair, and makes us into what we should not be, that takes us to places we should not go, that makes us want things we should not want, there is a remedy for that. And it is in Christ and Christ alone. And in closing, ponder these, these words of Matthew Henry. Salvation is still of him, as it has always been. From him alone, it is to be expected, and on him we are to depend for it. Jonah's experience shall encourage others, in all ages, to trust in God as the God of their salvation. All that read the story shall say with assurance, say with admiration, that salvation is of the Lord, and is sure to all that belong to him. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That's something that I've written, that's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.